0: Did you predict any of that? I certainly didn't. I'm Roger and this is Bookshook and today's podcast is all about the second half of Bewilderment by Richard Powers published last year in 2021. So the idea of the podcast is that we'll spend a month reading a book, hopefully together. I'll split the book into two equal halves. On the second Friday of the month, I'll share my thoughts and yours on the first half of the book, maybe make a few predictions. And when we finished reading the book, I'll publish part two of the podcast in a similar vein. That'll be on the last Friday of the month will decide whether it's a book we'd recommend to a friend or not. Of course, you don't have to read anything at all. If you're into Audible, then you can listen to the book, or you can do neither, of course, and just join me for the ride. I'll be summarising what happens in the book just for you, but be aware there will be spoilers. You can leave a comment or start a conversation on the Bookshook YouTube channel or send an email to bookshook at yahoo.com. Maybe you have thoughts you want to express about the book that I've missed or there's something in the podcast you agree with or really disagree with. I'd love to share your experiences in the next episode. Welcome to Bookshook. So this podcast is all about the second half of Bewilderment. That's page 147 from the chapter Robbie even enjoyed inflating the boat all the way through to the end. Robin starts taking on features of his mother. Remember, he's doing this deck neth, and he is doing scans based on Ali's print of ecstasy. So he's developed this love of bird-watching. He even talks in her voice. Quote, his mother spoke up close to my ear. The Robin is my favourite bird. He goes on, quote, do you remember that day? And Theo says he'd left me far behind. What day, Robbie. And Robbie says, the day you too recorded your feelings. I remembered it with weird precision, how Ali and I craved each other afterward, how we locked ourselves in our room, how she wouldn't tell me the source of her ecstasy, how she called through the closed door to reassure our son that everything and everyone was so okay. And Robbie says, there was something funny about the two of you. You were both acting strange. He couldn't have remembered that. He'd been so young and nothing about that afternoon would have been remarkable enough to impress itself on him. And he continues, like you both had a big secret. Then my wife was whispering, quote, you remember the secret, don't you, Theo? So the wife is talking through Robin. Quite coincidentally, Robin asked Theo, quote, what do you think she was thinking that day? He also remembers a tattoo on Ali that he couldn't have known about. And I'm just thinking that the answer to this secret lies In the signature of Ali's brain scan, Theo is desperate to find out what caused her this pure bliss. I'm sure it was her family and not the red herring, which is courier, or his jealousy. There's more MFRI training for Robin. Quote, he trained a fourth time on the template of his mother's ecstasy, and then a fifth. Each session left him a little more happily baffled. He spoke less and less. Even as he looked and listened more, he drew into his notebook with the speed of a growing plant. His dad spies his notebooks and feels guilty. Quote, My face flushed with two shames. I was spying on my son's notebooks and I was getting my first good look at a blade of grass. The oddest feeling came over me. The pages had been dictated from the grave. I put the notebook back in place. When he came back into the house the next morning and went to his room, I was afraid he might smell the prints of my fingers on his pages. Robin had been writing about grasses and i'm thinking is this how ali will reveal the answer to theo's pressing question quote what were you thinking of when you experienced bliss robin seems to have plugged into some greater consciousness quote he let the leaf go and the branch sprang back into place i looked up at the column of tree where every leaf was now red haired robbie when did you learn all this stuff he reared back and gawked at me the only creature out here that baffled him what do you mean, when? All along, he goes on. Dad, it's like that planet we went to, the one where all the separate creatures share a single memory. He knows birdsong. He shows some delinquent boys where an owl lives. And Robin, nine years old, asks to be homeschooled and Theo concedes. Theo is a bit of a pushover, I'd say. Robin suggests couriers should scan animals. Quote, I have a great idea, Robbie said. Dr. Currier's lab could take a dog, a really good dog, but it could be a cat or a bear or even a bird. You know that birds are a lot smarter than anybody thinks. I mean, some birds can see magnetism. How cool is that? He carries on. Scan his brain while he was really excited. He's talking about a dog now. Then people could train on his patterns and we'd learn what it feels like to be a dog. Robin goes back for his last MFRI training of the summer. Quote, I watched the session from the control room. So this is Theo, his father. Robin had become a virtuoso. His pleasure was proportionate to the ease with which he animated his screen on nothing but thought. He and the AI improvised a duet, each harmonising with the other. I looked on from the outside, unable to hear a note of the unfolding symphony. Robin's face ran the gamut of squints, scowls and smirks. He seemed to be chattering with someone in a language that had only two native speakers. Quite poetic, really. Currier wants to commodify Robin's treatment due to funding issues that he's having, and Theo agrees to think on it. He does owe him one. Currier says, quote, does he glow as much as home as he does in the lab? And Theo says, he's been beatific for weeks. I can't remember the last time he had a fit. You sound mystified, shouldn't I be? Imagine what he's inhabiting, I'd like to do more than imagine, says the father. Courier frowned, not getting me. There's that pressing question again. What prompted his wife's feeling of bliss? He's very jealous, isn't he? Theo tells Courier Robin knows facts that Ali knew. He says it's impossible. Quote, the idea amused him. I assure you, and this is Carrier speaking, he can't get that from the training. He can't get anything from her brain print at all except a feel for that one emotional state of hers that he's learned to emulate. And yet she was teaching him, one way or the other. I didn't insist. I felt like a superstitious hunter-gatherer in a magic cargo cult. Instead, I said, to tell you the truth, I'm not sure that emotional state really was her. Ecstasy? Not Ali, says Carrier. A spark passed between Martin and me. as Martin Currier. I read it without any feedback training at all. The man's eyes shied away from mine, and I knew. My whole programme of willful ignorance fell apart, revealing the truth behind a suspicion I'd nursed forever. It wasn't just my own bottomless insecurity. I never knew my wife of a dozen years. She was a planet all her own. She was her own person, though, Theo. I'm thinking maybe he in some way wanted to own her. Theo questions whether Robin is actually his child. And this is a very paranoid part of the book. Quote... I turned away from the screen and glanced into the living room. Allie was sitting in her beloved egg chair, swinging her legs as if it were almost time to have a glass of wine and find a sonnet for Chester. She looked over at me and flashed that startling smile, the small white teeth, the wide pink gum line. She shook her head, not understanding how I could be so distressed over a conversation of so little consequence. I wanted to ask her if she loved me as much as she loved her dog. I wanted to ask her if that opossum had been worth abandoning her husband and child now the opossum is the creature that she swerved and died in the car crash because of but the question that came into my head does that count for asking with a ghost was even worse ali is he mine is he really questioning whether robin is his child that seems incredibly paranoid Theo highlights the fundamental reason for his required research dollars, which the president wants to take away. Quote, it was also a wild fling of cash and an effort that made no practical difference in the world. It wouldn't enrich the future or cure a single disease or protect anyone from the rising flood of our own craziness. It would simply answer the thing we humans have been asking since we came down from the trees. Was the mind of God inclined toward life or did we earthlings have no business being here? What? a question. He tells Robbie that Currier wants to share his work with others. Quote, "'Robbie, Dr. Currier wants to know if he can show your training videos to other people. I've been evading the question for two days. I hated the idea of other people appraising the changes in Robin. I hated Currier for destroying my memories of Ali. Now he had my son.' I lay back on the wet grass. I owed Courier nothing but hostility. And still, I felt an obligation so large I couldn't name it. No good parent would turn his child into a commodity. But 10,000 children with Robin's new eyes might teach us how to live on earth. Courier starts advertising his deck nerf, his decoded neurofeedback business. And Theo feels slightly uncomfortable about this. One of the advertising taglines goes like this. Quote, Well-being is like a virus. One self-assured person and home in this world can infect dozens of others. Wouldn't you like to see an epidemic of infectious well-being? I've got to say, I think that's quite a good tag. Being around happy slash miserable people, I think can be quite contagious. They're approached by a lady, quote, my age, clutching a brushed silver computer to her chest. She wore a fair amount of turquoise hardware and the folds of her gray tunic fell over skinny jeans. I love that turquoise hardware reference. She's a producer for a TV station that wants Robin's story. "Quote: Influencers wanted him for the perfect three-minute episode, one that could earn a million thumbs from strangers across the globe. Boy lives again, inside his dead mother's brain, or maybe it was the other way around." Theo grudgingly agrees after ensuring Robin's anonymity. He's interviewed by a producer and he explains, quote, everybody's inside everyone and he does seem at peace. The OVO TV spot goes viral and Robin's identity is revealed to the producers, which are TED Talk type production company called COG. Robin does a five minute TED Talk slot with Courier. Quote, and this is Robin speaking, just that I'm not scared anymore. I'm all mixed into a really huge thing. That's the coolest part. And He's talking about how good this Deknev stuff is. Theo looks on thinking, quote, he puts a hand on Robin's head, my son's mother's lover. Theo and Robin go to the capital to seek funds for the Earth-like Planet Sea Commission, which is a telescope that's going to go into outer space and do very clever things like blocking out The light from other stars. His talk to try to recruit funds for the project is objected to by men wanting to kill the project. Quote, The cost overruns were just an excuse. The country's ruling party would have opposed the seeker even if it were free. Finding other earths was a globalist plot deserving the Tower of Babel treatment. If we academic elites found that life arose all over, it wouldn't say much for humanity's special relationship with God. Theo believes, then, it is rejected to on religious grounds, which is a very interesting idea. Robbie has made a banner saying, quote, May all beings be free from suffering. And it's surrounded by pictures. Now, remember, that's part of the poem that the mother read out to Chester in the evening. Quote, Ordinary civilians and civic tourists stopped, attracted by Robbie's scroll. A woman's my mother age fussed over Robbie. You made this? You did all this by yourself? Nobody does anything by themselves, said Robin. Something Annie used to tell him back when Robin was little. I don't know how he remembered it. Theo ends up getting arrested by two officers as Robin's small demonstration turns into something much, much bigger. Quote, Officer Fagan tried to take the banner to finish rolling and wrap up the show. The move startled Robin. He clutched his artwork to his chest. Fagan, defied by something so small, grappled Robin's wrist. I dropped my end of the banner and screamed, Do not touch my son! Both men squared off against me, and I got myself arrested. They finally managed to get home after delays at the airport caused by the worsening government... And they go birding and think about the Fermi paradox, which is why other consciousnesses don't abound. And Robin concludes with, quote, how would we ever know aliens? We can't even know birds. Very good point. Deknef is shut down for political reasons, meaning that Robin's treatment is now stopped. And I'm thinking, oh dear, I hope he survives this. There's a crisis in the government's Quote, the country slid into three days of chaos. On Saturday, the president declared the entire election invalid. He ordered a repeat, claiming it would require at least three more months to secure and implement. Half the electorate revolted against the plan. The other half was gung-ho for a retry. Where suspicion was total and facts were settled with the like button, there was no other way forward but to do over. Only pure bewilderment kept us from civil war. And there we go, the novel's title. Robbie spirals down, he hits his head against a wall due to mad cow disease outbreak and there is a tip-off to some care workers who come around to check on Robbie. Quote, the next suggestion of abuse or improper care and the state would intervene. Theo thinks that Robbie needs to be medicated. And spoiler alert, please fast forward if you haven't read this book and you want to read it, there is a sad reference to the fact that robbie might not survive the novel quote this is what i miss most about him even when his light went out he was still looking i'm thinking robbie no you're not allowed to die they go back to the smokies cabin where the novel started theo has set robbie a treasure hunt robbie dies trying to remove some man-made cairns in the river that destroy creatures habitats And I'm thinking, would the implied author rather kill off his character than give him psychoactive drugs? Discuss? Is that why Robbie had to die? I don't think he needed to die in this book. Courier lets Theo do the deckniff with Robbie's brain scan. Quote, And then one day my son is there, inside my head as short as life, my wife too still inside him. What they felt then I now feel. He goes on. He doesn't say a thing, he doesn't have to, I know what he wants from me, he only wants to see what's out there. The universe is a living thing, and my son wants to take me for a quick look around while there's still time. We rise together into orbit high above the place we've been visiting. The thought occurs to him and I have it. Can you believe where we just were? Oh, this planet was a good one. And we too were good, as good as the burn of the sun and the rain sting and the smell of living soil, the all-over song of endless solutions signing the air of a changing world that by every calculation ought never to have been. And the novel ends. My initial thoughts are it is a tough read, it's difficult material, and there's many unanswered questions. For example, what was she thinking of in the MFRI scanner? when she was experiencing bliss. We never find out. And is Robin his child? We don't really ever find out. There's some interesting ideas, again, to come out of this second half. So the cognitive disjunct of the narrator is a very interesting one. He has this hatred of psychoactive drugs and big pharma, yet he says on page 170... I believed in science. Listen to this, quote, My brain was too slow for the rush of calculations. I believed in science. I wanted Robin to be part of some larger useful thing. Another interesting idea is the incredible exoplanet world building of the father Theo. Mios is one of my favourites, and I'm going to read out the whole chapter Quote, I told him about the planet Meos, how it had flourished for a billion years before we came along. The people of Meos built a ship for long distance, long duration discovery filled with intelligent machines. That ship travelled hundreds of parsecs until it found a planet full of raw materials where it landed, set up shop, repaired and copied itself and all its crew. Then two identical ships set off in different directions for hundreds more parsecs until they found new planets where they repeated that whole process again. ''For how long?'' my son asked. I shrugged. ''There was nothing to stop them.'' ''Were they scouting out places to invade or something?'' ''Maybe.'' ''And they kept dividing. There must have been millions of them.'' ''Yes,'' I told him. ''Then two million, then four. ''Holy crow! They'd be all over the place.'' ''Space is big,'' I said. ''Did the ships report back to Mios?'' ''Yes, even though the messages took longer and longer to arrive and the ships went on reporting even after Mios stopped responding.'' "'What happened to Mios?' "'The ships never learned.' "'They kept going, even though Mios was gone?' "'They were programmed to.' "'This gave my son pause.' "'That's pretty sad.' "'He sat up in bed and pushed at the air with his hand. "'But it might still be okay for them, Dad. "'Think of what they saw.' "'They saw hydrogen plants and oxygen plants, "'neon and nitrogen plants, "'water worlds, silicate, iron, and globes of liquid helium, "'wrapped around trillion-carat diamonds.' There were always more planets, always different ones, for a billion years. That's a lot, my son said. Maybe that's enough, even if Mios has gone. They split and they copied and they spread through the galaxy, as if they still had a reason to. One of the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren of the original ship touched down on a rocky planet with a shallow sea in a small weird stellar system rotating around a G-type star. Just say it, Dad. Earth... The craft landed on a level plain in the middle of wild, waving, towering structures more complex than anything the crew had seen. These elaborate, flattering structures reflected light at various frequencies. Many of them sported astonishing forms at their very top that resonated in lower frequencies. Wait, plants, flowers, you mean the ships are tiny? I didn't deny it. He seemed equal parts skeptical and fascinated. Then what? The ship's crew studied the gigantic waving green and red and yellow flowers for a long time, but they couldn't figure out what the things were or how they worked. They saw bees fly into the flowers and flowers track the sun. They saw the flowers wilt and turn into seed. They saw the seeds drop and sprout. My son held his hand up to stop the story. It would kill them, Dad. When they figured it out, they would get on the communicator and tell every other ship from Meos in the galaxy to shut down. His words gave me goose flesh. It wasn't the ending that I imagined. Why do you say that? I asked. Because they would see. The flowers were going somewhere and the ships weren't. And then we have the question, do we ever really die? At the beginning of the novel, Theo remarks at how Ali has left a whole library of photos and videos at his disposal. Quote, I let Robin search the video site. After two keystrokes, Alice's name rose to the top of previous searches. I have less than 15 minutes of video of my own mother Now the moving, talking dead are everywhere, available anytime from any pocket. It's a rare week when we, dead to be, don't surrender a few more minutes of our souls to the overflowing archives. Not even the craziest science fiction story from my youth predicted it. Imagine a planet where the past never went away but kept happening again and again forever. That's the planet my nine-year-old wanted to live on. Then we have the brain scans, a document of her brain that can actually shape and mould another human. In a very real sense, Ali lives in Robin. But don't our children always live through their parents? The idea is articulated beautifully in that exoplanet, which isn't named, which I read out previously. When Robin is interviewed by the media, he does say, quote, everybody's inside everyone. I've not read Overstory, but from the little I have heard... That theme runs through that book too. Now, Overstory was another book by Richard Powers that was critically acclaimed. I think about trees. So just to finish off some ideas, we've also got the idea of white lies, especially ones that parents tell. When Robbie wants some security and asks, quote, spring will keep coming back, whatever happens, right, Dad? Dad responds with... Quote, there were strong arguments either way. The Earth had been everything from hell to snowball. Mars had lost its atmosphere and fizzled away to a frigid desert, while Venus descended into hammering winds and the surface hotter than a smelter. Life could crash and spin out pretty much overnight. My model said as much, and so did the rocks of this planet. Here we were in a place fast becoming something new. Predictions were shaky from a sample size of one. Yes, I told him, you can count on spring. A sweet moment filled with sorrow for the planet. And again, we've got this very anti-science president. When the next-gen telescope dies a death, the president tweets the following, quote, the biggest fraud perpetrated on believers since the attempted coup. Does that remind you of a president that we've had recently? Discuss. No, don't actually bother discussing it. We've also got this idea about childhood neurodiversity Asperger's OCD or ADHD obviously it's a huge theme throughout the book because Robbie is neurodivergent and it's always interesting how the father is going to try and help him so obviously this father was very against the idea of using psychoactive drugs and Deknef really did help him I just want to finish off just going through some of those amazing planets if you haven't read it. So we've got Davao, which is that Earth-like but no moon. Phalasha, those amazing seas an orphan without sun. Pelagos, which was had those dispersed intelligences. We've got Geminis, which is that bipolar planet. We've got Stasis, it was Earth-like but in stasis. Isola, a planet that's hiding... Robbie says quote That's why the universe is silent dad Everyone's hiding All the smart ones anyway So a very smart planet is Isola Tedia where life is destroyed And restarts over and over A bit like Sisyphus Going up the hill And then falling down And going up again And falling down And then Mios, the copying planet. Nithar, which is where they're blind. Similis, a whole surface is a solar-powered computer. Xenia, which is this beautiful shared consciousness. Quote, On Xenia, everyone was everyone else's parent and everyone else's child, everyone's older sister and younger brother all at once. When one person died, so did everyone and no one. On Xenia, fear and desire and hunger and fatigue and sadness and all other transitory feelings were lost in a shared grace, the way that separate stars are lost in the daytime sun. And we've got that loneliness planet that doesn't even have a name. It's so sad, it's so lonely, it is nameless. Quote, there was a planet that couldn't figure out where everyone was. It died of loneliness. That happened billions of times in our galaxy alone. I'd now like to talk a little bit about April's book, For Whom the Bell Tolls, by Ernest Hemingway. It's about 504 pages in my version. And it's published in 1940. If you're reading alongside, I'll be reading up to chapter 19. That's around halfway. Now, the reason I'm reading it is because I recently read, well, about a couple of years ago now, The Sun Always Rises. I really love the descriptions. The hot sun of Spain and the bullfighting. He's an American minimalist, and I've heard that it's a really great book. I don't know anything about it, though. The only thing I do know because I read the blurb, is set in the Spanish Civil War. So I've done a little bit of research into that to help me. I'm going to read the first few pages and say what I think. It starts off with a quote by John Donne. No man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. As well as if promontory were, as well as if manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. That reminds me so much of the previous book that I've read some of those planets and also the four immeasurables and remembering that any suffering is also yours for whom the bell tolls it tolls for thee anyway carrying on chapter one he lay flat on the brown pine-needled floor of the forest his chin on his folded arms and high overhead the wind blew in the tops of the pine trees the mountainside sloped gently where he lay But below it was steep and he could see the dark of the oiled road winding through the pass. There was a stream alongside the road and far down the pass he saw a mill beside the stream and the falling water of the dam white in the summer sunlight. ''Is that the mill?'' he asked. ''Yes.'' ''I do not remember it.'' ''It was built since you were here. The old mill is farther down, much below the pass.'' He spread the photostatted military map out on the forest floor and looked at it carefully. The old man looked over his shoulder. He was a short and solid old man in a black peasant's smock and grey iron-stiff trousers, and he wore rope-soled shoes. He was breathing heavily from the climb, and his hand rested on one of the two heavy packs they had been carrying. Then you cannot see the bridge from here. No, the old man said. This is the easy country of the past where the stream flows gently. Below where the road turns out of sight in the trees. It drops suddenly, and there is a steep gorge. I remember. Across this gorge is the bridge. And where are their posts? There is a post at the mill that you see, that you see there. The young man, who was studying the country, took his glasses from the pocket of his faded khaki flannel shirt, wiped the lenses with a handkerchief, screwed the eyepieces around until the boards of the mills showed suddenly clearly and he saw the wooden bench beside the door, the huge pile of sawdust that rose behind the open shed where the circular saw was, and the stretch of the flume that brought the logs down from the mountainside on the other bank of the stream. The stream showed clear and smooth looking in the glasses, and below the curl of the falling water the spray from the dam was blown Blowing in the wind. There is no sentry. There is smoke coming from the mill house, the old man said. There are also clothes hanging on a line. I see them, but I do not see any sentry. Perhaps he is in the shade, the old man explained. It is hot there now. He would be in the shadow at the end, we do not see. Probably. Where is the next post? Below the bridge. It is at the road mender's hut, at kilometre five from the top of the pass. How many men are there? He pointed at the mill. Perhaps four and a corporal. And below? More, I'll find out. And at the bridge? Always two, one at each end. We will need a certain number of men. How many men can you get? I can bring as many men as you wish, the old man said. There are many men now here in the hills. How many? There are more than a hundred, but they are in small bands. How many men will you need? I'll let you know when we have studied the bridge. Do you wish to study it now? No, now I wish to go where we will hide this explosive until it is time. I would like to have it hidden in utmost security at a distance no greater than half an hour from the bridge, if that is possible. And there we go. That's the first couple of pages. So obviously we're in a wartime situation. The younger man is going to want to probably blow up this bridge. I imagine he's going to be hiding some explosives. The older man obviously knows the area very well and he has friends it's an interesting dynamic this young upstart and then this older man who possibly will be helping him blow up this bridge very interesting opening and full of beautiful descriptions of natural beauty the falling water of the dam white in the summer sunlight beautiful i'm looking forward to reading that book thank you very much for listening if you have any questions or comments i'd love to hear them the email is bookshook at yahoo.com or you can leave a comment on the bookshook youtube channel and if you want to recommend a future book to read together do let me know i look forward to discussing the first part of for whom the bell tolls by ernest hemingway at the next episode of bookshook that's the 8th of april see you then